Welcome to episode 172 of the Rugby League Republic podcast with your hosts, Tish and Dr. T. In this episode of the podcast, we discuss the David Fafita switch to the Titans, Sonny Bill Williams to possibly return to the NRL, the Indigenous round, and much, much more. Join us as we build a rugby league community for all. The Rugby League Republic podcast starts right now. Welcome to episode 172 of the Rugby League Republic podcast, where we aim to bring you the everyday fans' perspective on the greatest game of all, Rugby League. This is Rugby League for the people. I'm your co-host, Dr. T, and joining me is Tish. Tish, how are you going this week? Oh, Dr. T, I'm doing well. Uh, I actually had a bit of a shocking, shocking um, realisation uh, this week, Um but apparently, I have been wrong all my life, and I am the wrong star sign. Um, <laughs> oh no! Don't you hate it when they do that? Oh yes, I am. So I've 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 lived my life as a Capricorn, but reality is, apparently, I'm a Sagittarius. Oh, is that is that look? Is this something to do with uh, the change? There's an there's like a thirteenth star sign or something. Is that what? And then they've that's shifted right. Sagittarius and Capricorn or something. Is that is that what's happened? Yes, that's exactly what's happened. And uh, yeah, so I, I can't remember. I think it's Opa Calada, something something like that. The uh, the new star sign. Um, <laughs> I'm going to have to so, Google it while we're talking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's uh, yeah. So it's it's changed the world. And you know, uh, rugby league getting uh, moving from 15 teams, uh, 15 players on the field to 13, and now we've got 13 star signs. Uh, potentially, you know, uh, maybe the calendar will look better with 13 months. Uh, could be very interesting how, you know, all those years ago, uh, you know, maybe 13 is actually the, you know, they call it a very unlucky number, but it could actually be the luckiest number out there. Wow. Well, you know, I, I tell you, I I have I have Googled and it's okay. called, oh, oh my goodness, they couldn't have picked a worse name to pronounce. Uh, Aaron yeah. Molan would have a difficult time with this one. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, 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 that's not fair. Um, o- Ophi- Oph- Ophiuchus, which is O-P-H-I-U-C-H-U-S. Uh, yeah. it, it looks like the symbol itself looks like a, you know, like a staff with a snake twirled around it. And it has been shoved in between... Uh, well, what's happened? Actually, there's it's sort of shift. A few things have shifted because of it. So, it's actually in between Scorpio and Sagittarius now. So it's like end of November to like middle of December. But you know, good news. Those of you who are are playing at home, Sagittarius still owns Christmas. Uh, or actually, no, it yeah. didn't even before. So <laughs> before actually, oh, it's Sagittarius has taken Christmas off Capricorn. Because of this new star sign, so look unbelievable, yeah. unbelievable. You know, I guess you could say Ophiuchus should just be renamed to Sunny Bill Williams because it's just coming oh, in. Yeah. It's just coming in and and totally rewriting the rules and that's, uh, and <laughs> totally taking all of the attention. Mm. Uh, it's uh, yeah, absolutely. Let's let's uh, do a petition to rename it to Sunny Bill. I mm. think uh, I think that well, that will be ideal. But look, 
apart from star signs, Tish, uh, have you been enjoying the football this week? I have been. I have been. I've got to say the games, uh, look, it's heating up. There's only eight rounds left before the you know the regular season so that's that's two months away um so it's getting more and more critical and i've got to say there are teams that are well i mean uh, we've had the bottom place team win this week uh in the bulldogs uh you know and they're upsetting a team that is in the top four well was in the top four uh so that, that's that's you know very interesting and you know teams that look very shaky at the start of the season like the sharks uh, you know that, that they are suddenly on a four four game winning streak. So look, a lot happening in the NRL, and then on top of all of that, we've got um, you know Sonny Bill Williams uh, coming uh, back in, or you know is he in, is he out, all that kind of stuff. Uh, lots happening in the NRL. Uh, it's just it's the drama that never stops. You know what? Like you know you could you could watch I don't know Bachelor in Paradise, or you could watch uh, you know um, you know. Home and Away or Neighbours or anything like that. Uh, you know, pick your favourite drama out there, House of Cards. I don't, I don't think anything beats the House of NRL when it comes to drama. Uh, you know, everything happens uh, in the NRL and uh, anything and everything can and will and most likely would happen in the NRL. I think I think that's probably that's probably the, the logo for next season, I think, of the team. Look, Tish, I know before we before we launch into our regular six tackles, you've you've got you've got me inspired with a bit of a an idea here. Uh, if if the NRL was to be a TV show, what would it be called? And and you know, like to me, what and what would be like? You've got to have a good jingle, right? Like mm. you've got to, you know, like a good theme song. Everyone knows the neighbors theme song. You can you know you can sing it to your kids or whatever. It's a uh, I, I get the feeling that if if NRL if the NRL if rugby league was to become a, a TV show, I think it would just simply be called Tish simply the best, and the best. Uh, and I think you know what the theme song would be. But uh, Tish, but can, you, same, can you top that? Well, well, the only, when you thought theme song, look when you said immediately, like, what TV show? I don't know for some reason I always thought the NRL would be a good. Um, you know, it's pretty much like Baywatch. I don't. I don't think I would have expected that sentence to be stated at all. But you know, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, I just thought it was. You know, you you got lots of people uh, running around. You know, you got tries being saved left and right. You know, you got conspiracies out there. You got agents. You know, it's like uh, you know, it's just a regular old eighty-minute game, and there is much. You know, like, um, you know, with, with uh, a show like Baywatch, you know, it's all centred around a beach. But there's more drama sometimes outside the beach than what there is in. And I feel like that's why the NRL could be a, a good, uh, you know, if there's a, a show to compare it to, I, th- I think Baywatch would probably be the show. And and can I suggest to you that uh, David Hasselhoff, being the, the patriarch of that show, <laughs> can present and provide the theme song which is his famous "Looking for Freedom" about the the tearing down of the Berlin Wall, and I wow. think I think this is, I think you're onto something. Like just when I thought I had the the perfect idea, you've you've come and stolen the thunder once again, oh. there, Tish. It's uh, David Hasselhoff and rugby league. These are two things that need to need to get. Uh, you know, we we need to collaborate. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think I think rugby league needs to partner with David Hasselhoff, the Hoff, uh, you know, and breaking into the American market. You know, the NRL presented by David Hasselhoff. 
I mean, that's that's eyeballs on, on television sets right there and there. Yeah, absolutely. And and look, the, I think there needs to be a – the person that needs to make the connection is the original Hoff in Rugby League, which is Paul Hoff, uh, <laughs> who needs to – we need to get him uh, to, to find Hasselhoff and pass the baton to the new Hoff. Uh, yeah, for the 21st century. So there you go. All right, we're going crazy, obviously, but we haven't even started talking footy yet. So let's let's dive into our six tackles. And here we go. Tackle number one, the round 11 wrap. All right, so first game was a... Look, it was a very entertaining game. Uh, the Eels mm. versus the Tigers... Thankfully, my Eels winning this one, 26 to 16. It was a super entertaining match, uh, in my opinion. And uh, look, it was five tries to three. Uh, Mitchell Moses back back on deck and, uh, you know, did what he needed to do. It was entertaining, but I, I have to say, if you were a player, you'd be pretty cautious because it was slippery as anything else on Banquist, the Banquist Stadium um, surface, uh, Mitchell, Mo- you know, there was quite a few potential injuries. And after Mitchell Moses mm. came back from injury, uh, you kind of, uh, as an Eels fan, you could kind of thought, well, geez, I hope he doesn't hurt himself when, uh, a couple of times he slipped doing simple things like kicking for touch, you know, and this is kind of, uh, not, not a very good, uh, and this was on the day that it was actually really dry in Sydney. <laughs> it hadn't rained at all. It was just the dew. <laughs> It, and that yeah. sort of tells you something about the surface there and potentially how dangerous it is at night. So that aside, I, I think uh, look, I'm happy with the performance of the Eels. They did what they needed to do. Uh, to me, the greatest, one of the greatest highlights that you'll ever see, or two, two, I'd like to mention two things. One, mm. we talked about the um, post-try celebrations uh, that uh, we wanted the NRL players to get into. We haven't really been seeing too many good ones. We saw yeah. a pretty good one last week with Corey Norman, who uh, stole the match uh, against, I think it was the Bulldogs for the Dragons, and uh, did, did a Mark Riddell and went and sat in the, amongst the crowd and congratulated himself. And uh, <laughs> and the uh, his teammates followed him, so I thought that was a good one. But I, I think the best one and the most uh, culturally sensitive and aware one is from Mike Sivo, uh, who scored a try against the Tigers, and uh, and and did the he sat down. Uh, those of you who are, who are picturing picture this, he sits down, cross-legged, uh, claps his hands, and pretends to drink a, a bowl of kava. So to wow. me, that was like the kava ceremony. Those of you who know, he's Fijian, of course, and that is a traditional ceremony over there. Uh, the drinking of the kava, and what you do is you sit down. It's a bit of a ritual, uh, as you know, Tish. You sit down, cross-legged, in the, usually in a circle or whatever, and you uh, you clap. I think you usually clap three times, or at least you clap once, and before you receive the bowl and you drink it. And that's what he did. I thought it was pretty. Look, it was pretty quick. He did it very quickly, but it's. Uh, I I did notice it, and I did like the fact that they quickly went back to it and mentioned it. So I thought that was actually an understated but yet very uh, powerful. Uh, post-try celebration. And the other th- highlight for me was uh, the greatest try, not the greatest non-try you yes. will ever see by Blake Ferguson, who uh, you have to, I can't, I cannot describe it in words. You have to go see it. Please go see it. Um, it was a, um, 
you know, there was a, a kind of an over overlap situation, and uh, he managed to sort of miraculously kind of lunge towards the try line, uh, and in doing so, he kind of lunged high. And usually, when when wingers lunge for the try line. Uh, you know, we see a lot of athleticism nowadays. They usually lunge from one side or another. So if they're on the, uh, you know, left side of the field, it's usually they, they hold the ball one-handed in their left hand and they lunge that way or right-handed if they're in the right side of the field. And he was on the right side of the field, but he kind of he kind of jumped up. If you can imagine, you know, the old school, when, when you first got taught in primary school how to do a, uh, a high jump, you'd sort of jump with two legs up in the air. And, and he kind of did this thing where he jumped uh, almost like he was, you know, jumping forward. And he managed to plant the ball between his legs just yeah. as his uh, legs were, were kind of, uh, you know, almost uh, in touch and, and almost, uh, you know, touching the outside line. But it, it, were it not for the fact that there was, I believe, a knock-on or something earlier in that passage of play, um, that would have been probably the greatest or most athletic try you would ever have seen. And it would have yeah. been an absolute, uh, you know, marketer's dream, but it wasn't to be. And, and I think at the, at the end, I think Blake Ferguson almost injured himself. So I'll, I'll shut up for now, but Tish, uh, what did you think about those two highlights? Oh yeah, look, absolutely fantastic. So look, firstly, the Blake Fer- Ferguson, the um, maybe the most amazing try never scored. Uh, it was phenomenal. Uh, I think the way I would probably describe it is that um, he jumped in the air and did the splits in the air yeah. while he tried to put the ball down. <laughs> right. Pretty much, and, yeah. And, and basically the ball beat his feet. So that's that's basically what he was able to do. And I think he ran – he had one, like, foot into touch but <laughs> just before he did it. So it was a kind of thing. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, he's been – a on a bit of a dry spell for, for tries. So, uh, you know, can you imagine if he would have uh, scored that and done the backflip straight afterwards? Um, look, you could go watch it on YouTube. You could go watch it on NRL.com. You know, if you want to see, uh, you know, if, if you don't want to do that, the other way you could watch is, you, you know, you could you could go to the National Geographic channel and watch an eagle uh, flying down and swooping in and catching a, uh, catching a, a tuna by its feet. Because that was basically uh, the same sort of motion that was in that sort of uh, uh, effort there. But look, it was a great game. Look, uh, 2016, obviously the Tigers, they didn't go through. Look, all my Tiger mates and friends, everybody, we talked about how good they played. And, you know, it was a great game and all that stuff. And look, I agree with all those things. And Benji Marshall had a great second half where, you know, you could see him coming up with all these different trick plays and different shots to try and get a try here or there. Uh, but ultimately, I think this is where the Tigers have uh, really disappointed is that, you know, when they've played the top teams, they just haven't been they've, been... they've played well, but they don't know how to win these games. And that's something that the Tigers will need to uh, to be able to do to break to the next uh, you know level, which is getting into the top eight. So they're not going to be able to get in the top eight, unfortunately, if they continue to... Uh, play well against the good teams and not actually win a game. I think, you know, this season they, they've they've done it with Penrith, they've done it with uh, Newcastle. Well, they've done it with Canberra, and now they've you know they've done it now with Parramatta. On Parramatta's uh, point of view, it was great to have Mitchell Pearce back. 
Um, yes, he was slipping and sliding the whole Mitchell, whole... Mitchell Moses, not Mitchell, Mitchell Moses. Sorry, <laughs> not Mitchell Pierce. Sorry, Mitchell Moses. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry. But look, he's been playing well, and uh, you know he's um, it was good to see him return as well. And I think Parramatta had a few players coming back as well from injury. So, look, you know, I, I think this was um, you know, last week they lost. It was important uh, lost, so it was important for them not to uh, slip into too many games with you know sort of consecutively losses, which they haven't done so far, and um. Yeah, they're still looking good. The 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 ship is still uh, heading towards the premiership, and I think um, you know I think that they're, they're really going to have a strong chance in in the game. All right, uh, Manly twenty four over the Cowboys twelve. It was four tries to two. Uh, you know, not not an unexpected result given the way the Cowboys have been kind of plodding along this year. Um, yeah, look, I didn't get a chance to watch this this one, unfortunately. And to be honest, it didn't really interest me that much because even though Manly, Manly's been doing well, I think, uh, well, you know, the, again, similar to what I said last year, they, they're kind of flying under the radar, aren't they? Like they they do yeah. things like not win games like this sometimes and then and then they topple the, the league leader <laughs> like they did to the Eels last week. And, and uh, you know, like then – and then they come back and then they just plot along. So they're still kind of getting there. But, um, but again, uh, you know, they're, they're doing what they need to do. Um, and it's important at this stage because they, they still need to get uh, – is, is Tommy Turbo still still out, I believe? Um, yeah, I believe he still is, yeah. So, yeah, so this is, again, they need to kind of – they need to make sure they put wins on the board and that's what they're doing. And that win takes them uh, – into the top eight, actually, they they basically mm. replace the Tigers. Yeah. Uh, so you know, a good win, an important win, and uh, they've got a little bit of breathing room against uh, the ninth and tenth place Tigers and Rabbitohs, respectively. So, uh, yeah. Any thoughts on this game? Well, look, um, yeah, look, I didn't catch it either, but look, a good win in Parramatta. That's back to back wins, and uh, you know, this was um, you know, this was sort of uh, the first uh, first coaching uh, the coaching debut. Of Josh Hannay um, from the Cowboys after uh, Paul Green, uh, you know, sort of retired, and uh, yeah, not not a great start to his coaching career, unfortunately. And uh, yeah, I think the Cowboys, just like the other Queensland teams at the moment, struggling. Um, and you know, they had a good performance against uh, P- uh, Penrith, but it looks like they uh, they kind of fell away a bit against uh, against uh, the Sea Eagles. All right. Uh... The storm smashing the Broncos forty six to eight. Not not much, not much more to say. Again, look, not unexpected. What is you know, like the score looks pretty big when you look at the actual number of tries, eight tries to one. I mean that that tells you something, and and really the lack of defence is it's all about the effort that they're putting in. I mean we've got. At this stage, you've got, you know, this level, you've got great players on both sides. You've definitely got, uh, you know, I wouldn't say a star-studded side in the Broncos, but but you do have players that should be performing better when they're together. And so, you know, like, I mean, if you look at the forwards, uh, Tavita Pangai, Offa Hengawe, Payne Haas, I mean, those are three up-and-coming superstar players and, you know, you need the kind of the forwards to, you know, step up really. Um, but look, unfortunately, um, they're not 
whatever's going on, they're not doing very well. And the Storm capitalized on that. They're just clinical as always and absolutely smashed them. Uh, Tish, I don't know if you saw the highlights on this, uh, but yeah, um, what are your thoughts on this game? Well, uh, I did I did uh, watch this game, Doctor T, and it was actually fourteen uh, eight at half time, uh, the Storms' way. So uh, a really close first half, uh, to be t- quite fair. And uh, and I'm pretty sure that uh, Brisbane were actually leading uh, for a time. So uh, you know they scored the the second try, uh, and then they went up uh, with the with the with the penalty goal as well in the twentieth minute. So about the 20th minute, they were actually leading 8-6 um, up until about the 34th minute when Jerome Hughes uh, sort of cut through the middle <laughs> and scored. And then they just fell away. And then, you know, it was the same old signs again that you see from the Broncos. You know, you, you know, you don't see them talking too much uh, in a, in defense at all. You, you know, you sort of see really soft tries being scored by the opposition. And, you know, they the, the, the Storm just had a field day that, you know, the Storm probably could have scored another three or four tries as well, but they kind of, you know, sort of dropped the ball the last minute or, you know, a few things sort of uh, went awry a little bit. So, um, but yeah, it was just very interesting how, how it all sort of planned out. And look, I've got to say, uh, you know, at the press conference after the game, Anthony Seabold talked about, you know, how he was impressed about the first 30 or 40 minutes and, you know, how he liked the communication. But in the end, he felt that the uh, the whole issue was, was around how they sort of, you know, didn't offer enough options, you know, their their last minute, sorry, their their uh, end of sets was terrible and they, and they need to do better, uh, you know, in terms of field positioning and, you know, obviously the forwards, they're, you know, they're doing a lot of defense, they're doing a lot of attack, but, you know, it's heartbreaking when you when you have a bad kick towards the end or you, you know, sort of run it on the fifth tackle and, yeah, just different game management things. And to be honest, they're all fair points. I, I do agree that's a, that's one area that the Broncos uh, need to fix. Uh, but I think the glaring obvious truth is they have to work on their defense, <laughs> right? <laughs> because this is a consistent thing, you know? They, they lose by 40 points every week, you know? So um, if they're focusing on their attack, you know, during training, I don't know if that's what they should be uh, doing. I, I, can't, I honestly believe they, they just... That they're a team that I reckon for the next few weeks in in uh, training, it's like you know what we're we're gonna we're gonna forget about attack. We are just gonna tackle and tackle and tackle, and we just want to become just so much better defensively. We'll not let any team score you know a, a point off us, and you know other teams have that attitude. You know, um, you know the Panthers have that attitude. Parramatta have that attitude. I think that's what Michael Maguire is trying to build inside the Tigers as well. You know, the Roosters have that attitude. All the top teams that they they get really uh, they they don't want to have a t- they don't want to leak any points. And uh, unfortunately, uh, the Broncos are doing more than just leaking points. They it's like a floodgate, and uh, and. and to be honest, you can't tip him against anybody. Like, uh, I don't know, I, I, is there a Bulldogs uh, Broncos game coming up soon? <laughs> because that's about the only game they're able to win these days, right? Yeah. Oh well, they'll, they'll have their opportunities for sure. <laughs> so <laughs> we'll see. But um, yeah, I mean, it's not looking good for them. All right, uh, Warriors versus Roosters. Roosters ended up winning this one, eighteen ten. Mm. But at half time, it was the Warriors leading ten. Six, I believe. No, uh, yeah, that's right. Ten six, and so you know, totally uh, surprising a lot of people. But as yeah. usual, the Roosters get into second gear, 
at some point and uh you know a couple of tries at uh you know at at a fairly spaced interval in the second half including an absolutely monster solo effort by jo- uh, uh what's his name Joseph Manu um yeah. and uh you know basically uh Winning this one for the Roosters, deserved winners, but the Warriors showing showing a bit of heart. So good on them. Uh, did you catch this one? Yeah, look, I did actually catch uh, most of the second half, and yeah, the Warriors they look good. They were leading at halftime, and um, you know, very spirited effort by by the whole team, and they they went you know sort of uh, you know throughout the game that they were doing pretty well. Then then obviously when Luke Kerry scored, you know now they're sort of behind, and I think. I think the key is if you're uh, if you're a team that's trying to beat the Roosters and you're sort of not one of the top teams, you have to be in front uh, with 15 minutes to go to give yourself any sort of chance. And because then when the when the pressure came on towards the end of the game, the Warriors kind of looked shaky. I've got to say, uh, trying to score that try, you know, they kind of got nervous. I felt like, um, you know, they felt like you know it was too important for them to score. So all of a sudden they were sort of. You know, just just a little. If they would have kept to their game plan, they might have had a chance. And you know, the Roosters, on the other hand, they just um, you know, even when they don't play well, they they still they still seem to win. Um, they just you know, it's like a completely professional, uh, you know, performance, and and that's what you saw here. And um, Joseph Manu, I've got to say, he's probably the centre of the season. I think he's the best centre in rugby league at the moment because you know he's just got so much skill and talent. And uh, you know, with him and uh, with Latrell going to South Sydney, I think. A, a bigger spotlight's been shown on Joseph, and um, we're kind of seeing a lot of the talent that he's already had. Uh, we're sort of see- seeing it come out this year. All right. Uh, the battle for Southern Sydney mm. with the Sharks, the local derby, the Sharks against the St. George Laura Dragons, where the Sharks ran out winners 28 to 24, uh, five tries to four, a bit of an odd one. Because mm. what you saw here was at one point early in the second half, uh, the Sharks were up 28 to, I think it was 28 to 14. And and so where, where initially I think they had actually uh, quite possibly, you know, the Dragons had the initial lead in the first 20 minutes or so. Um, but oddly enough, uh, you know, two tries later in, in the second half, to the Dragons, allowed them to catch up 28 to 24, and that's where the score stayed for about 22 minutes. <laughs> so it, <laughs> it's, re- it's really odd that you, you kind of think, how is it possible that the score is 28-24 and for 20 minutes uh, towards the end of the match, not, not one try was scored, you know, the Dragons couldn't complete their comeback. Um you know, the Sharks will be a bit worried, though, with this performance because even though they ended up winning, they really should be putting the Dragons a bit more to the sword uh, mm. given where their aspirations are. And they are in the top eight, and the Dragons are a little bit behind. But having said that, you know, if if they had lost that match, then the Dragons would have actually been equal in points with them. So um, this is how close it is uh, in the middle section of the pack um yeah sharks v dragons what do you think yeah look i think uh look very entertaining uh scoreline and game and um so some really great tries in this in this uh contest as well uh you know and to be honest quite a lot of tries because like um you know we had five tries to fall um so 
you know, and it was all in the rain as well. So that was also another aspect of this game. Um, if you go and watch the highlights, you'll see a really good try from Zach uh, Lomax. Um, you know, I, I think he sort of kicked the ball after receiving it. Like it was like a second kick try and then he kicked to get it uh, again, which was fantastic. And uh, uh, Ravalala, he had a, he had a really good try there as well. So, Look, I think I think the Dragons, you know, they're starting. To, uh, they had a very slow start to the season, but they're they're doing a lot better now. And you know, meanwhile, the Sharks they've sort of been there and thereabouts. But I think this is their fourth game in a row they've won, so they're starting to put on a bit of a winning streak, which is good for them. Um, but you know, I, I still have question marks over some of the like the age of their roster a little bit. Um, so because I, I know, and maybe this is telling why. Yeah, maybe there isn't. You know, the last twenty minutes isn't isn't the most exciting TV watching the Sharks play, right? Um, because they're kind of you know just sort of loose theme. Uh, now this is the game also where we had the uh, you know where we had an incident where you know the the Dragons uh, clearly on the video referee uh, it was a video referee stuff up. You know um, Matt Dufty, you could clearly see him grounding the ball before the Sharks put their hand there, but then the referee still awarded the try missing. Uh, the fact that Dufty had ground the ball. And as a result, uh, the video referees were actually sacked after this game. Um, so that was a bit of a, a controversial thing that happened at this game. I've got to say that that happened really early in the in the game. Um, and on top of all of that, uh, there was a try that was disallowed by the bunker uh, just moments later to the Sharks, uh, which I do believe probably should have been a try. So I don't feel the Dragons were robbed. I think it was some, if it happened in the last minute or two or even in the last five minutes of the game and, you know, it's sort of the game is on the line and the video referee stuff's up, then I think you could say, yeah, we were robbed. But I, but I think it's a bit of a stretch if something that happened early on in the first half, uh, you know, where I think you kind of got your... I think they were lucky that the second try was uh, not awarded uh, because I thought that was a try. I, I kind of felt that it kind of went both ways for them. So, uh, but yeah, look, very interesting uh, sort of controversial game. And, uh, you know, it's a good rivalry, the Sharks versus Dragons. So uh, both teams are kind of around the same level, I suppose. That's why they're only a, a few points behind each other. So uh, I suppose we'll see if either of them will make the top eight. Absolutely. Two other teams that are battling for a space in the top eight are the Raiders and the Rabbitohs. And look, at halftime, uh, it was 12 points all. And, uh, you know, halfway through the second half, the Raiders took that extra level step up and scored a try. Semi Valame scoring the match winner with 24 minutes to go. <laughs> so, again, one of those situations where for a full 20 minutes or so, no change in the scoreline, <laughs> and it was 18-12. The Raiders deserved winners, and, uh, yeah, um, did you catch this match? And uh, what do you think, uh, the, are the Raiders on the way up again? I, I think the Raiders are on the way up again, to say. So, look, unfortunately, they lost, um, you know, their main sort of uh, playmaker, but I think it's kind of... Ricky Stewart's been able to, to reshape his team a little bit and uh, they've been able to play a different style, um, you know, a bit more um, centred around their forward pack. And to be honest, I think that's why they probably should have played from the start of the season. Their forwards are really the key. So, you know, if the Raiders play direct instead of trying to shift the ball wide, I think there's a lot more points for the Raiders going up the middle. Uh, 
and that's what they're doing. And then look, um, you have your sort of, uh, you know, nippy fast players sort of playing off the back of what the forwards are doing. I think that makes a. I think it's a pretty solid game plan. So the Raiders continue to do that. I think they will. When did you think about that? Is that any other team that's playing the Raiders would know that that's their strategy? And I don't think the Raiders need to try and trick somebody into thinking that they're going to do something different, uh, because I feel like the Raiders are a team that could just do that week in week out and probably win, um, you know, eighty percent of the games doing it that way. So there you go. And look, the Rabbitohs. Uh, they've been patchy all season, haven't they? And now they're sitting in 10th position, you know, uh, you know, behind the Tigers uh, who are in nine. So, you know, sort of disappointing. Again, it's one of these things. The Rabbitohs, if they're going to make the top eight, they have to beat one of these top, you know, uh, four or five sides. And the Raiders are one of those teams. So I think the Raiders can still make the top four, um, you know, but uh, yeah, or it might be hard for them to get in the top four because... You know, the Roosters, Eels, Storm, and Panthers are pretty good. So, uh, yeah. But I think the Raiders, definitely a solid for number five. All right. And a team that is also battling for that kind of top four spot, or it was at one point, and and, Mm. then dropped out. Surprisingly, the Knights against the Bulldogs, uh, you know, losing 18 points to 12, the Bulldogs, surprising winners there. But, you know, really the key... The key thing is that the Bulldogs were actually 18-0 ahead after 47 or 48 minutes or so. So, mm. you know, it was uh, it was almost looking like it was a complete flogging. But then the Knights, um, with two quick tries in uh, the 60th and 68th minute, looked like they were on their way back, but they couldn't they couldn't complete uh, you know complete the job, and uh, they ended up losing that one. Uh, look. Anytime you give uh, the last place team eighteen point lead, you you you're not really deserving of being <laughs> talk, talked about as a top four contender. So a very disappointing effort from the Knights. Uh, what were your thoughts on this match? Oh look, um, yeah, look, well done to the Bulldogs with their second win of the season. I think that was Steve Georgialis's first win as a as a head coach of the NRL. So well done to to Steve Georgialis. And yeah, the Knights, uh, uh, pretty bad performance losing uh, to the Dogs uh, like that. You know, the Dogs are always going to compete. So you've got to bring your A game. You can't you can't sort of take them lightly. Andrew McCulloch uh, has, I think he's, uh, he, he injured himself and he's out for the rest of the season. So that's a huge loss for them. And I think they've also lost Connor Watson for the entire season as well. Uh, and I think Connor Watson, he might be, I don't know if he was playing Origin or close to Origin last year, but you know, so so he's obviously another an, another uh, huge loss. But uh, you know, uh, the Bulldogs haven't had much to celebrate uh, this season, and uh, this is a, a good win for them. So look, I think the Knights are. I feel like they're on a bit of a slippery dip at the moment. They they haven't been playing the best, even though they've been winning games here and there. And I think now with those two losses, they probably need to be able to turn things around. Uh, and they probably need to do it quickly because, you know, the finals aren't that far away. All right. And the final game was uh, the Panthers against the Titans, winning 22-14. to 14. Uh, They did what they needed to do to uh, leapfrog the Storm and the Eels to regain top spot, which the Storm had briefly uh, gained there after their flogging of the Broncos. Um, look, the Titans put in a pretty good performance here, but in the at the end of yeah. the day, the Panthers class and enthusiasm uh, shone through. What are your thoughts on this game? 
Yeah, yeah. Look, I think it's one of those games once again where the you know Panthers were just too strong for the Titans, even though the Panthers weren't at their best. Uh, they were just able to you know manage the game to to the point of victory. At halftime, it was sixteen fourteen. Things were close. Um, I've got to say that the you know the Titans uh, they scored some great tries. Jamal Fogarty he scored a try where he ran. I think it was over ninety meters, which was awesome. And then, of course, you had the the great Anthony Don, um, you know, the Don of of the Gold Coast. He he scored a a great try, which made the you know two thousand fans there go nuts. Um, <laughs> so, yes, yeah, so that was pretty good. And you know, it was good week for the Titans. We could talk about uh, what's what's happening with them, but um, yeah. And look, the the, the Panthers they're still on top, uh, you know, uh, and you know they. It's gonna be a it's gonna be a, a tight race between them and Parramatta to see who will be the number one team, um, but I, but I feel like I feel like Parramatta is still the better team. I think the Panthers are just uh, you know they seem to uh, struggle sometimes in attack, which is kind of interesting. So, uh, but be, but yeah, I, I want to see how they're gonna go uh, up against one of the top four sides uh, in the next few rounds. Absolutely. All right. Well, that is tackle number one. Let's move on to tackle number two. Here we go. All right. The uh, this round, uh, round twelve, taking place uh, between July thirtieth and August the second, is the NRL Indigenous Round, which aims to highlight significant social issues affecting Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. It's also an opportunity for the game to cement our commitment to the Indigenous community and celebrate the unique relationship between Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples and Rugby League. And this year's Indigenous Round sits alongside the National Reconciliation Week, which is a time for all Australians to learn about our shared histories, cultures and achievements and to explore how each of us can contribute to achieving reconciliation in Australia. And the theme for the 2020 National Reconciliation Week is In This Together. Now, a couple of uh, pretty interesting things that have happened this year um, the first is, uh, if you look at the NRL.com website, there is a very interesting kind of article um, explaining how... Uh, so one of the things is that the NRL teams basically have developed their own special edition Indigenous Round jersey. Uh, yeah. And, uh, the, you know, you, this has been done for quite some time. But this year in particular, I think... I feel like there's been more of a concerted effort to uh, to actually get um, get some artists to to you know and and then each each uh, jersey has kind of a different story about how the artist was selected etc. Um, I do recommend you guys go out there and look at the NRL.com website and find uh, the the article which was I think it was posted on 27th of July. But uh, one of the things I want to sort of quickly mention, uh, you know, it's, it, each of the, like I said, each of the um, uh, jerseys look great in their own way. And I, I my favourite, I've had a quick, a quick look and I just sort of want to put forward my favourite one is the Cronulla jersey. Uh, I think looks, it looks absolutely awesome. Uh, I, you know, and again, this is, pod, podcast is not visual, but uh, please have a look at it. But if you can imagine there's, it's kind of in two halves, the top half, is uh, is kind of uh, black color, and then the bottom half is kind of blue color and represent with black fish, and represents um, you know obviously the water, and and the top half represents a night sky. But I'll just quickly read out from the website. Um, 
uh, what a bit of the story, which I thought was also a very interesting part of this. Uh, not only does it look cool, but it's got a pretty interesting story as well. So um, the the jersey was designed by Alara uh, Gbung Cameron, and it's entitled Coming Together. And it's been designed with the intricate artwork, uh, a direct rec- reconnection to the ways of our old people. Uh, it's an illustration which also represents a oneness with Mother Nature and equanimity of mind. The night sky spirit animals represent and pay tribute to the players' totems and the oneness between spirit and sky to land and sea. Through Dreamtime stories, the nation's first peoples and widely respected by the wider community as a symbol of Australia, the Southern Cross features as a connection between both cultures. I thought that was pretty awesome, Tish. Uh, there are plenty of other really great stories as well. And and uh, I thought that one was awesome because, uh, again, it's a striking kind of colour scheme. Uh, it's not just a uh, you know, it, it is a definite change from the Cronulla theme. Uh, you know, the blue is only the bottom half of the jersey, but I do, I do like it. And I do like the story of how it brings together. You know, the uh, the idea of the the indigenous culture and the modern culture that we have here in Australia, and and that there's a connection, and the connection is in the Southern Cross, which is, uh, you know, obviously it's on our flag, and so. Um, you know, th- this is a, another uh, another great initiative by the NRL. Tish, uh, do you have you had a look at the the list yourself, and, ha- and do you have a favourite that you wanted to discuss? Well, look, I think uh, I like the whole. Uh, I'm looking at all these jerseys, and they all have um, some great. Uh, they've all got some great things going on. Um, they're all. Um, I like the fact that they're all unique. You know, in some rounds, I remember a few times, some of them, they weren't really that much of a departure from their original jerseys. Um, Whereas this year, I think you could really see the striking differences between all of them. Um, What I do like, and it is good to actually read some of the backgrounds of the actual jersey design and so forth. But one, the one initiative that that I really quite like is from the North Queensland Cowboys, where, I mean, their jersey is called the Chosen One jersey and that's uh designed by uh you know that's that design is the winner of the cowboys annual indigenous jersey design competition um and the you know designed by artist william chambers so i wonder if that's uh any relation to the other will chambers that's actually in the nrl um (laughs) but but look i think that's a really great thing that the cowboys are doing where you you know where you know potential um you know sort of not just um, celebrating Indigenous uh, culture, but also uh, Indigenous art and allowing some of these uh, really talented Indigenous artists that we have in Australia uh, being able to sort of, um, you know, present their jersey designs. I think it's a really fantastic idea and, um, you know, uh, possibly we can have some of these, um, you know, uh, it's, you know, have an exhibit one day of all these different um you know, artwork that's been done. So, look, beyond artwork, I think uh, the Indigenous round is a really important round for the NRL. I think rugby league has been a great sport um, in promoting uh, Indigenous culture. Uh, It's been a sport where it's embraced uh, quite a number of great players um, and legends uh, that are in, that you know, that have played rugby rugby league, um, which is fantastic uh, because, you know, I think um, the Aboriginal contribution to rugby league is... Um, you know, is absolutely awesome. Two of the Immortals, Arthur Beetson and Mal Meninga, 
uh, you know, from, you know, uh, Arab original. Um, I'm not too sure if there, there might even be more than that uh, in the NRL uh, based on heritage, but I, but I have to check that out. But, um, but look, I think it's, it's great. And, uh, you know, I, I always kind of believe that we could, could actually do, um, I don't know if it's something that we could just do for one round or maybe we could uh, have a few rounds of indigenous uh, culture because I think I think um, I think just with the the legacy that rugby league has and um, the amount of people in the you know Aboriginal community that support rugby league, uh, it would be nice to to sort of um, have this stretched out maybe for you know maybe have an indigenous month or something like that. So um, maybe something that that could be something the NRL could look at down the track. Absolutely, uh, and the other thing, uh, the other thing that's happened, of course, is uh, uh, the NRL is doing a choose your indigenous team of the twenty first century. Yes, um, which uh, which is very interesting. So, uh, if you go onto again, go onto the NRL dot com website, everyone, you've got until uh, well, I don't know when it closes, Sunday but off. they're gonna they're gonna announce the the team on uh, NRL dot com on Sunday. So please, as soon as you listen to this podcast, uh, in fact, do it while you're listening to the rest of this episode. Go out there and uh, and quickly uh, cast your vote. Uh, and basically, we're just gonna go through very quickly who we chose. Uh, you, yeah. You've got players that have been chosen as finalists, I guess, for each position and you get to choose and it's quite easy, visual, very quick and easy kind of thing to, to do. Um, but let's quickly go through because we've got some differences, I think, that we've mm. we've chosen. So uh, so our fullback of uh, our Indigenous fullback, you've chosen David Peachy and I've chosen Greg Inglis. Uh, why did you choose David Peachy? <laughs> yeah, over Greg Inglis. Great question. <laughs> look, simply because, uh, look, if Greg Inglis was in the centres, he would be my centres. But I, I was surprised that he was picked at fullback for uh, this this uh, survey, because um, he was a lousy fullback. If I think fullback to fullback, I oh, really really like the way David Peachy played. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I, I, yeah, I think he, he wasn't the best fullback out there. I mean, he was kind of um, he because we're fullbacks. You got to have a fullback that is going to be involved in the game and. I felt like he was very patchy when he was playing fullback. I think I think he was a a terror. He's a bit like Latrell Mitchell. Let's be honest. Like you know, like uh, Latrell Mitchell as a centre was, you know, was an absolute genius. And I think Greg Inglis was the same. Um, but I don't think he had the same impact on the game when he was fullback. Okay. All right. Uh, I have to disagree with that. But anyway, to move on, uh, winger. I've I've got uh, Wendell Saylor, and you've chosen Nathan Blacklock. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Very interesting. Look, I can see, I can see your point of view there. I yes. think uh, you know a lot of people thought, you know, look, it would be a superstar pick, Wendell Saylor, but Nathan Blacklock was very underrated. And I did, I'm an R about this one as well. So I, you know, yeah, definitely a a very underrated uh, choice there that you've chosen. Yeah, absolutely. And look, to be honest with you, I was kind of surprised Nathan Merritt wasn't on the list. Because I remember mm. the amount of tries he scored, he was uh, you know try scorer of the year like three or four seasons in a row or something like that. So again, it was kind of a bit weird that I that I saw him there. But look, Wendell Sale, I think both of these players are fantastic, um, you know, game breaking wingers really. Um, and and I could see your point for Wendell because obviously he played for Australia, he played uh, for Queensland as well. All right, so uh, in the centres, so the centres, as you said, you know, you would have expected, I guess, Greg Inglis possibly to be in the centres, uh, but they that wasn't to be. Uh, interesting choices here. You chose Latrell Mitchell, 
Yeah. And I've actually gone a bit of a, uh, uh, yeah, a, a different choice. Tamana Tahu I've yeah. chosen because I thought, uh, you know, like he, look, not much fanfare, but I think he uh, he was pretty solid as a centre, you know, did what he needed to do. I think he reached the Kangaroos, obviously. Latrell Mitchell has, has obviously exploded onto the scene, but I think he hasn't really done enough <laughs> to sort of, uh, you know, he's only really been in the game a few years. And I think whereas Tahu has kind of, uh, made his mark on a couple of clubs as well. So that was my reasoning. What about yours? Yeah, well, look, I don't fault you for Tamanda Toe. This was a, an um and ah for me. But I just, uh, yeah, I think Latrell Mitchell, I'm probably picking him more on uh, on um, potential <laughs> rather than actual <laughs> current. Uh, but I think Latrell Mitchell, uh, you know, he's, you know, he's got that X factor. Tahu was so solid. Um, he had that bit of X factor to him as well. So uh, a very tight one for centers. I think this is one position there was plenty of great options there. All right. Uh, five eight. Uh, look, we both go on Laurie Daly. I guess my question is, uh, you know, this is about the 21st century and he retired in well, he retired in 2000. So I guess, you know, yeah. Did he retire technically before the season? I don't, I don't remember exactly. I thought he he finished in 99, but I guess he would have been counted as possibly a player in the 2000. So, um it's hard to it's hard to forget sometimes. It's easy to forget sometimes that he uh you know, yes, it was 20 years ago, but um you know, he was uh, he he played quite a you know he's a very strong player in the nineties as well. So, look, technically we're we're basing this on what he did in the nineties. So I'm not sure if that will count against him, but um, yeah, I mean I don't I don't know how you can go past anyone else, but but Laurie Daly, yeah. but um, nothing to and look halfback as well. I think this was a no brainer. Jonathan Thurston, both of us chose. Mm. You know, he's yeah. going to be an immortal someday. He, to me, is the reason why uh, Queensland dominated, you know, for a decade or so um, in the state of origin. And it's, it's quite frankly, uh, you know, I, th- I think it gets forgotten as well that he, even though there are Storm players and other players involved in the Queensland yeah. dominance, I think when Thurston wasn't there, it really made a difference. Him and Cooper Cronk as well. But I think Thurston in particular was uh, the linchpin uh, there. So I don't think there's any surprise there. Um, do, you, do you want to say anything about either Daly or Thurston? Uh, look, yeah, look, Laurie Daly, I think obviously he was, uh, you know, he was uh, captain of Australia. I don't know if he was captain of Australia in the last 20 years, but I think just he's got that legacy and we all sort of compare great 5 uh, One of the fives we compare them to all the time is Laurie Daly. For Jonathan Thurston... Um, He's arguably the greatest halfback of all time. But in my mind, in terms of defense, he's the greatest halfback of all time because, um, you know, his attack is phenomenal. But um, I think, you know, I've never, I don't think I ever saw Jonathan Thurston miss a tackle or be very weak in attack. And he was kind of an aggressive halfback in defense as well. So um, just an all round great player. And uh, not on top of that, a, you know, a goal kicker. So. You know, he just instantly makes any team better as soon as he's named in that team. And uh, he's got a real great mind for it. So, look, we can't sing enough great praises about Jonathan Thurston. He's, he's probably one of the greatest players that ever played rugby league. Absolutely. Um, all right. So, props. 
we have gone, both of us have gone Andrew Fafita, which is odd considering he is now he pledged his allegiance to Tonga. <laughs> but he does have Indigenous background. And so look, I think this is very important because he, yep. out of what was available, I think he definitely has the, – the fact that his, you know, I wouldn't say switch, I think his, uh, his ultimate kind of uh, allegiance to Tonga has – you know, directly led to their, uh, their their recent domination and the fact that they've toppled the the seemingly unbeatable Australian kangaroos is, to me, it's sort of it, it's a really it's really great on your resume, <laughs> basically, mm. and you can't sort of get away from that. And I think it sort of shows how skilled he is. He is he's of the Arthur Beetson type ilk. In terms of the yeah. way he plays, he's big, he's mobile, but he's also extremely skillful and and uh, you know uh, ha- you know especially with, as a ball player. And so, you know, really to me, this was a no-brainer. Um, any any thoughts on Andrew Fafita? Yeah, well, look, I think Andrew Fafita is a a great player, and uh, yeah, I think definitely you now he's got the mixed heritage, which is um, you know great to see, and I think. Out of those selections, I think he was kind of um, clear in my mind as to uh, the best. But it's it's interesting with uh, some of these forwards. I know some of the front rollers and second rollers. I kind of got lost who was actually supposed to be where. So, um, but I think yeah, I think you could say that that both these uh, yeah, I, I definitely say that Andrew Fafita, uh, you know, has been one of the greatest front rollers in the last twenty years and. Uh, you know, and I think yeah, it's a it's a great opportunity to to uh, recognise him for that. Great. Um, at hooker, I've got Nathan Peets, and you've got Ray Thompson. Uh, <laughs> look, not 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 that many. Interesting. The 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 choices we have yes. were they're not you know they're at a different kind of level to what we see elsewhere in this Absolutely. pack, and so it's quite mm. interesting, isn't it, that we don't see as many. You know, indigenous uh, hookers dominating the game is what we used to. Yeah. Um, very, very to interesting. To be honest, yeah. yeah, I did not know uh, any of these players. I've got to say, I, I kind of, I think I kind of heard of Pete's before, but um, I pretty much. But uh, he I, I sure you know Nathan Pete's former Parramatta well, Eel, gone to the he, Titans. Gone to the Titans, playing number fourteen, right for for a team that hasn't done. So then, uh, I pretty much closed my eyes and just sort of uh, moved my mouse around, and then um, oh, that's it landed on Ray Thompson. But yeah, very. Yeah, I found this very interesting too. You know, we we talked about some of the greatest uh, players um, to have ever played. Um, you know, uh, in some of these key positions. Uh, yeah, but when it comes to to the dummy half role. There doesn't seem to be uh, that many options. Uh, now, interestingly, if you actually go and look at some of the halfback uh, selections, you know, Preston Campbell uh, and probably Scott Prince, Chris Ender, and even Jonathan Thurston, let's be honest, probably all the halfbacks that uh, we've chosen um, that, that, that are in selection, that would probably all make great, um, you know, dummy halves as well. Uh, but because they probably played halfback, they never probably got that opportunity as well. So, um, so I think that kind of uh, yeah, it's it's interesting in a way that um, not too many specialist dummy halves, uh, you know, sort of, uh, you know, it's, it's a bit hard to pick. But but uh, yeah, that was that was probably the hardest pick for me that one. All right, and second rower, we both picked Gordon Tallis. Again, a bit of a no-brainer. Um, not much more to say there. I think he's head and shoulders yeah. above everyone in that category. 
Absolutely. Um, Strong candidates, David Fafita, Wade Graham, and Sam Thido, but I think Talos is just at another level there. Yeah, I agreed. Um, at lock, very interesting. You've picked Greg Bird. Uh, I've actually gone someone who wouldn't, you probably wouldn't have expected. And, you know, if you look on paper, you'd think, yeah, Greg Bird, he's obviously achieved a lot and was very instrumental in, in New South Wales' success in recent years, uh, you know, or, or even throughout that failure period in State of Origin, he was still one of the highlights. But I've gone for Dean Witters at lock because I think I, I just get, you know, he, uh, I think he sort of he, he underachieved a little bit, but I think he was, when he was playing, uh, he was actually one of the most skillful kind of players and was quite, um, you know, quite, quite, important uh to his team uh and so i think that sort of goes unnoticed a little bit so i'd like to see him get noticed in mm. this respect although the reality is that the votes will probably go more for greg bird because he's more of a recent player and what he's done at state of origin level as well um but yes yeah, so I've, I've gone for dean witters that's my view on that um but yeah tish uh Again, a, a great sort of initiative, and I would encourage everyone to go to the NRL.com website and please vote because uh, obviously the more people vote, the more likely we're going to get, um, you know, strong strong interest in this. So, excellent. All right, let's move on to tackle number three. One of the big pieces of news is uh, that Broncos' David Fafida has switched to the Gold Coast Titans. Tish, uh, he is reportedly, he's 20 years old. He's reportedly signed on for a record-breaking $3.5 million deal over three years, which, uh, you know, puts him as one of the highest-paid players in the game. And, uh, you know, this is despite the fact that, look, it's not much of a move uh, geographically to go from Broncos to Titans. But, you know, under normal circumstances, it would be a huge career, almost career suicide going from the Broncos to the Titans. But in this environment where the Broncos have had quite a bit of issues recently, um, this could actually be the making of David Fafida. He could actually be what they need at the Titans to build a, uh, you know, a possible premiership contender in future years. What do you think about that proposition, Tish? Uh, look, I think uh, David Fafida, uh, big probably the biggest. Well, it's really hard to say because I, I remember that um, you know the Hain plane also landed at the Gold Coast as well for a few seasons as well. Um, but look, I've got to say that look, I think it's a great move from the Titans because he is probably the hottest young player that is out there at the moment, and it's a. I think it's really telling that Brisbane could not uh, secure his services because under normal circumstances, if the Brisbane Broncos were the Brisbane Broncos of old, despite the fact that you're getting less money, you'd still want to stick with the Broncos because they're a top eight team most seasons. They're a top four team most seasons. And you have a a shot at winning a premiership, which um, a team like the Titans who have probably struggled uh, to not be the wooden spooners most years, uh, you know, you, you kind of don't expect that. So um, the fact that David Fafida uh, has decided to go to the Broncos, I think, uh, to the Titans has shown that the Broncos have got major issues. And uh, the reality is, um, you know, uh, $3.5 million over three years. I think it's $1.25 million. Now, um, Jason Tamalolo is on a million dollars a year uh, at the at the Cowboys. So 
he is uh, going to be paid more than him. <laughs> I think he's getting paid more than what Cooper Cronk was getting paid at the Roosters. So a really, really good financial deal for uh, David Fafita. So uh, when people say it's not about the money, I think I think they're wrong. I think it is actually about the money. Uh, but I think on top of that, uh, for three years, the Titans have got him. It's time to build a side around him a little bit. It's going to be hard, obviously, because you're not going to be able to pay for any other great big-name players. Um, but I think they will make the top eight next year with Fafita. I think he's got that much impact. And they have uh, signed, uh, you know, Tino from from the uh, Storm as well as uh, Fedawika as well uh, for the Broncos. You know, plus they have a couple of nice young players coming in. Herman S.A. S.A. is uh, from Newcastle is going to join them next year. Uh, Jamal Fogarty is actually quite a great great halfback. Um, so I think, and they've got a coach that did uh, win the Super League. So uh, good signs for the Titans, but I don't see them winning the Premiership in the next three years. Um, just because I don't think they'll be able to attract any other big names um, for any sort of money because they've kind of spent most of it on David Fafita. Well, you know, we're going to talk about someone else in a second because that is a perfect segue (laughs) to tackle number four, which is about Sonny Bill Williams. Oh, yes. So Sonny Bill Williams is set to return to the Roosters and uh, Peter Volandis, PVL, has uh, potentially granted uh, an exemption for the Sydney Roosters. Uh, you know, I'm not sure what the, whether the exemption is a uh, is as part of the salary sombrero, um, <laughs> you know, clause. But I think for whatever reason, some people have quite rightly been annoyed that the premiership winners from last year somehow have managed to miraculously find enough money for Sonny Bill to end up back in at the Roosters. It, not like it, it's a team that needs any more help. I was mm. actually thinking as you were talking about, you know, uh, for feeder at the Titans, well, there's a team, there's an area that's calling out for a bit of the marketing uh, kind of, uh, you know, phenomenon that is Sonny Bill Williams. It's hardly that the, the Roosters need it. Um, and so when, when Peter Volandis talks about, you know, the, uh, he, he's talked about the situation with the Wolfpack and, uh, and what's happening in the UK. And basically he says, look, you know, it is a marketing thing. Uh, obviously it would be a shame to, to kind of let, let the opportunity slide. And if it is available, he'll do what he can to make sure that, uh, within the rules that, um, that, they, you know, bend them and make them, make them as flexible as they can to allow Sonny Bill to return to the NRL, uh, again, because it will mean eyeballs and, uh, and money, basically, and attention. And that's really what we need to be doing to promote ourselves. And I agree with PVL on that. Where I disagree is that, uh, it, you know, that I think if given uh, an opportunity like this, I think you would strongly encourage that player to go to a team that really needs that kind of support and really needs that kind of um, uh, attention. And look, there have been plenty of other teams that have been, uh, we've spoken about this last week. Uh, You know, the Warriors is one example um, of a team that could have really used the help of Sonny Bill Williams and, uh, you know, and the attention and the, the star power um, what was the other team we were thinking of? I think it was uh, 
you know, was it Bulldogs or Dragons or someone else, you know, but um, at the end of the day, we're hearing Roosters and it is disappointing. But Tish, I'll throw it to you. Are you disappointed that Peter Volandis is is uh, doing what he can to help the, the Premiers get another leg up even further? What What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, look, I think uh, it's great to have Sonny Bill Williams back. It, you know, it's obviously uh, headlined. Uh, left, right, and center with him coming back. Um, you know, there's lots of rumors of how he'll play and all that sort of stuff. So I think he is good for the NRL to have him back. Um, though I'm like, I'm with you. I I would have rather him seen him go to the Warriors because I don't think he would have gone to uh, the Bulldogs based on the history that he's had with the club. Uh, in many ways, that's probably one thing that uh, kind of still upsets me a little bit, even though I'm not a Bulldogs fan. You know, kind of the way he walked out in the club. And, you know, really the, the club has never really got anything out of that. And they, they're the ones that kind of invested in him as a young player as well. So, um, you know, that's that, that's a bit disappointing as well a little bit. So, um, and look, the, the whole exemption uh, situation. So uh, there is something about, um, so Sonny Bill, uh, one of the things was that there was a certain jersey sponsor the Roosters had that promoted gambling. Um, so he does not want to wear that jersey. And I think they've already made that exemption so that he um, that they won't actually use that jersey when he's playing, which is a very interesting exemption right right away. And the other situation is with the f- flexibility with his contracts, because obviously he signed a Super League contract, which he's still under. And um, you know, a- as an NRL player, you can't have two contracts uh, because you know it is up in the air what will happen with the Wolfpack next year as well. And I think he's contracted for another year. Um, they brought this rule in for actually Benji Marshall to stop Benji Marshall for uh, going to uh, play Japanese rugby uh, in the off season while he still got a contract with the West Tigers. Uh, you know, he famously had to quit the West Tigers to join rugby, and then he came back and went to St George. So you know, so it, it is how we've had this rule in to sort of um, in the past to weaken certain clubs. And now we're sort of scrapping it to strengthen another club. It's kind of a bit. If you look at the whole history of it, uh, it doesn't it doesn't really make sense. Uh, now this whole thing, I've never actually heard about this two contract, uh, you know, situation uh, for a, uh, you know, I've never actually heard of this before, where you know NRL players can only ever have one contract. Um, I don't think that that's actually lawful. Based on the fact that Peter Valandis himself uh, <laughs> does work for other organisations, he and now one of them is a charity. So, you know, but but that's the case, and um, we're going to talk about somebody else about a conflict of interest as well. So, it's <laughs> perfect, perfect segues here. And I, look, before we move on to that perfect segue, I have to agree. I think this is a look. Potentially, Valandis has. Uh, He's he's moving towards the flexibility approach because mm. of that very reason that he doesn't I think want people to point to him his situation and say hang on how can you um, <laughs> play play two roles at the same time um, and and what does that mean look before we move to the next item which uh, which in which you're going to talk about Phil Gould obviously um, look. The, the issue about conflict of interest, I think, is something that, yeah, we'll talk about in a minute, but I think in the player situation, I don't think that's uh, that's an argument at all because, you know, in this situation, it's very unusual um, 
And and obviously we're talking about a contract for a team that is not playing at the moment internationally for a very unusual reason. And so so really it's a case that look, he's uh, he's got nowhere else to go. And if he wants to be match fit, he needs to play. Um, it's not a situation where even if he is being paid by the other team, um, it's not like as if he can do anything about it. And it's not like as if playing for a team over here is going to uh, interfere with his uh, his uh, obligations to his team over there. So it's, it's a different situation, I think, because I think we're talking opposite sides of the world and uh, different teams which don't really... Uh, in the situation as it presents itself means that there's no way that, that, that those two worlds will collide. On the other hand, and this is where we're going to move to tackle number five, all right, tackle number five, uh, Phil Gould, uh, on the other hand, is potentially being seen as, uh, you know, a, a potential advisor to the NRL. Um, and uh, so what's the actual category? What's the... So he's been headhunted by the NRL for a consultancy role, which is aimed at eliminating bunker blunders and overhauling the referee system, probably among other things as well. So the uh, the press has sort of announced this as uh, Peter Volandis keen on bringing in Phil Gould in a Mr. Fix-It role. Uh, you know, and Tish, in this situation, you know, this is where potentially you've got conflict of interest at play because you're talking about... Um, you know, someone who is a, a full-time employee of a television network and a newspaper and a short while ago was head of football operations at Penrith Panthers, who are leading the league at the moment. So, Tish, potential conflict of interest means that, it you know, sometimes all it is is if it's perceived to be a conflict of interest, it's enough to sort of uh, – it's enough of a potential conflict of interest, whereas, um, you know – you know, in some other situations, like with the players, uh, as I said earlier, I think you can make an argument that those two worlds will never collide. But in this environment, you know, being an NRL employee, being also a television network uh, analyst and and a newspaper columnist, uh, you know, you've got conflict of interest all over the place here. So, Tish, what are your views about this, first of all, in terms of the conflict of interest? And do you think the NRL is, uh, you know, what's PVL thinking looking at... Uh, at getting Gus Gould more involved. What are your thoughts on that in general? Well, it it is very interesting. I think Phil Gould has been one of the loudest voices in rugby league. And look, you know, he, obviously with being on Channel 9 and being very opinionated and, uh, you know, he's got a, a column in the Sun-Herald as well. And, uh, you know, I, I do tend to agree with a lot of what he says. But, I mean, you know, you're in, obviously you don't always have to be uh, agreeing with everything. And one thing that I have noticed, um, you know, uh, watching him and uh, Paul Gallon go at it uh, on certain uh, TV shows out there is that um, although I probably didn't agree with much as Paul Gallon when he was a player, um, I do agree with him a lot uh, when he uh, is analysing the game and talking about certain incidences and actually talking about the game a little bit. I find I do agree with him a lot, um, you know, post his career a little bit. And, you know, he was funny. He was talking about Sonny Bill Williams because he was saying that, uh, you know, Sonny Bill Williams decides to come back to the NRL and still hasn't signed up uh, signed up to take on Paul Gallon in a boxing match. And, uh, you know, the, the season that he retires is the season he decides to come back. So <laughs> I thought that was <laughs> hilarious. But look, um, but, but look um, you know, it was interesting because uh, I thought, 
Peter Volandes was Mr. Fixit in the NRL. And uh, now he's trying to outsource that to Phil Gould, right? To be the uh, Mr. Fixit man. And, <laughs> um, and people are saying that, you know, he's going to come in and, uh, you know, uh, fix the bunker and fix the refereeing. What I did hear from Phil Gould um, is that, um, you know, he denies that he's been headhunted. He basically said that when uh, Peter Villandes, uh first became chairman about, you know, before Christmas, that ever since then, you know, the phone calls started happening. They started, you know, having conversations about how the game should look like and fix and he wanted his opinion on different things. And then, you know, it got to a point where, um, you know, like, you know, Peter was asking him how's things going and he said, yeah, I did this, I did that, I took – you know, because, uh, you know, Phil Gould, you know, every day is sort of getting calls from different people to, like, you know, g- get their advice on certain things. And Peter Volandis says, well, why don't we just create a role for you at the NRL and you can get paid to do what you still do. And um, and that's kind of where he said it all that's really happened. What he did sort of say, and I do quote, is that I think the real important thing in our game is in the participation. Um the amount of money we spend on the game development over the years just hasn't hit the mark. Um, and, you know, I think he has alluded to the fact that he actually wants to have a role that involves working in, um, you know, sort of junior development, player development, uh, international development, New Zealand. And he talked a lot about the Pacific Islands, even talked about how he went to Samoa early in the year as well to see how the development was going and to build pathways. Um to, to obviously having players from those nations and New Zealand uh, playing the NRL, uh, which I thought was really positive. And he talked about participation waning at the moment in sort of the grassroots and how to do that and obviously get the community more involved. So I think a lot of that stuff, and to be honest, at club level, and I think uh, one of the success of the Panthers, if you actually run through uh, the Panthers lineup, one thing you'll notice about them is that uh, if you actually look at previous club for most of these players, there's no other previous club because they've all been through the Panth- the Panthers system, and uh, you know, like, why does uh, uh, the the Titans need to sign David Fafita for 1.25 million? Because the Titans really haven't done a great job with their junior development, and you could say the same thing about most clubs out there in the NRL at the moment. So, I think having a guy like him who's got that passion for player development. And, you know, that's probably why, you know, he's regarded as such a great coach. I think that that will be a very good thing. And the fact that he does have an international focus on it as well, I think is also very good. Um, You actually look at the Panthers lineup once again, and you look at how many uh, Pacific Island background uh, players there are, how many New Zealand players they've also got as well. And, um, you know, he does sort of see the need to bring on these nations. So I think all that stuff, if Phil Gould can do that at an NRL level and we could see the fruits of that, um, you know, heading throughout the whole, uh, you know, uh, NRL, I think that that's a great thing. Um, you know, the final thing that I will say on this is that Phil Gould also talked about another interesting concept, which I never really thought about, but he does say that we're probably a decade or even two decades away from it. And that's having an international player draft where you've got all these young kids who come in from other nations and you sort of bring him into a um, into a draft system. And he's, he kind of talked about how the NRL is not really set up for that yet, but he does believe that that is something that we do need to get to. So that was actually a very interesting uh, sort of concept because I never actually thought about that before. So 
I think if field goal can be part of participation, I think that'd be great. And I don't think there's a conflict of interest if it's about player participation because that's a general thing. If it's about the cosmetic issues of the game, which is, you know, should we have the bunker? Shouldn't we have the bunker? Is six again a good thing or a bad thing? Is 20, 40, 40, 20? Should we do that? I think all that stuff, to be honest, you know, he's a channel nine commentator. He's not going to give that up for anything. You know, he probably would have to... I don't think it's a role he could do, and I don't think it's a role that's really suited to him. Um, he, you know, there was that famous uh, time where he went and became a touch judge uh, for a bit and um, hasn't really softened his opinion on tough judges. So I don't know if he's kind of the right fit for uh, for that side of things. And I think, yeah, the the refereeing, um, it does need fixing, but I don't think he's the man for the job. I think, um, I think we need to, uh, you know, uh, need to look elsewhere for that sort of role. All right. Uh, all right, let's move on to our final tackle, uh, our round 12 tips. Here we go. All right, so uh, I last week I got six out of eight and you got three, so I've now regained the lead, 43.5 to 41.5. And uh, here are the games for round 12. So first up, it's traditional rivals, the Dragons versus the Rabbitohs. I'm picking the Rabbitohs. How about you? I'm tipping the Dragons. All right, Tigers versus Warriors. Uh, Warriors for mine. Tigers for mine. Pretty obvious there. Uh, (laughs) Now, this is an interesting one. Broncos versus Sharks. I wonder whether you are going to stick with me and go for the Sharks. Yeah, I'm going to tip the Sharks. Uh, Can anybody ever go for Broncos at the moment? I don't think so. All right, Roosters against the Titans. And uh, look, I'm tipping the Roosters. They're on fire at the moment. Yeah, Roosters for mine as well. Uh, unfortunately, they won't have David Fafita for this week. They have to wait. Yeah, <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> uh, Cowboys versus Raiders. I'm tipping the Raiders on this one. Yeah, look, I think the Raiders for sure. Oh, you know what? I'm going to tip the Cowboys because uh, I just realised this game is in North Queensland, and I think it's a really long trek for the Raiders to 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 get there. So, um, I think the I think the Cowboys for mine. All right, uh, Manly Seagulls against the Penrith Panthers. I'm tipping an upset. I'm tipping the Seagulls to uh, to pull one over the Panthers, mm. and I think Daily Cherry Evans will have a blinder. Yeah, this is a tight one, but I'm going to stick to the Panthers because they seem to be able to get the job done even without playing well, so I think that that's kind of uh, going to do that So yeah. All right, traditional 80s rivals, Bulldogs and the Eels. Uh, I can't see the Eels being beaten this time. Yes, the Eels for mine, and incredible where we are in 2020 to see the Eels uh, so much more dominant than the Bulldogs. All right, uh, exactly. Very unusual. Uh, Storm versus the Knights. Uh, look, normally uh, I would have picked the Storm, but I'm going to tip a massive, massive upset. I think the Knights will, uh, will ambush the Storm and win this one. Yeah, the Knights will be riding their horses into a Storm, <laughs> which will defeat them. So the Storm for mine. <laughs> I'm, t- I'm picturing the uh, great Doors song, Riders on the Storm. Uh, you know, I was thinking Daryl Braithwaite, but anyway, <laughs> fair enough, fair <laughs> enough. All right, well, that is uh, that, that's a tip for round twelve, and that is the podcast for today. Thanks everyone for listening. Uh, don't forget you can email us 
uh, our republic at gmail.com. Uh, check us out on our website, on Facebook, on Twitter, and on iTunes, as per usual. Uh, please join us next time. And Tish, over to you to wrap this one up. Yes, thank you, Dr. T. And, yeah, look, I hope you had fun listening. But, look, that's all the time that we have for this episode of the Rugby League Republic. We are your hosts, Tish and Dr. T. Join us next time on the Rugby League Republic. Bye for now.